Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. In this last episode of the three-part mini-series all about big emotions in creative living, I sit down with Lisa Anchin, children's book author and illustrator. Several months ago, I was at my local library with my kids after it had fully reopened, closed for years because of the pandemic. Get me in the picture book section of a library and I am like a kid in a candy store, picking up and leafing through everything I can get my hands on. I love children's books for many reasons, and one of which is that they are a fun and accessible entry point into exploring deep and challenging topics. I love using them in my university classroom for exactly this purpose. During this particular visit to the library, I was deep into planning my forthcoming domestica course about boosting creative confidence, and I was trying to figure out how to incorporate kids' books into the lessons. I was browsing through the stack and I came across a number of books that just so happened to directly relate to the topic of creative confidence. One in particular that stood out was called The Paper Bird, and it was a newly released book. I may have actually been the first person to read this particular copy at my library. As I read and read the story, it resonated deeply. It's about a little girl who is passionate about expressing herself creatively, but when the other kids laugh at her work, she feels discouraged and has self-doubt to the point that color begins to fade from her life, eventually resulting in a grayscale world. It's through a moment of solitude and the gritty act of creating that color re-enters her world. So after checking it out of the library, I did what I know how to do best, and I reached out to the author, Lisa Anchin, to thank her for her work and to ask her if she'd like to chat and be a part of this series. And as for the Domestica course, I decided to include a resource containing a list of children's books that focus on various topics in the emotional realities of creative living for students who are young and students who are young at heart. I've included the same resource in the show notes for today's episode at talkpaperscissors.info. In this conversation, you will hear Lisa talk about how the final story of The Paper Bird is very different from her original idea that was seven years and 17 drafts in the making. Lisa sheds light on how bookmaking is a hugely collaborative process and the way she works with her publishing team. Lisa speaks to the role that self-doubt plays in her creative process and her approach to break out of the cycle of self-doubt. Hint, make more stuff, anything. <laughs> Lisa ends this episode by reading The Paper Bird and purely by coincidence, actual birds arrived as she began reciting her story and offered their sing-song gifts to the recording. Magical. Enjoy. 
So who is Lisa Anchin in a nutshell? I actually find this question hard. I find that it's hard to distill yourself into nouns somehow, but I suppose I'm a writer, an illustrator, I'm a storyteller and bookmaker. I I love words, I love doodling, and um, I'm a believer in being a lifelong learner. Um, I'm a Smithy, that's an important part of my identity. My alma mater just had their reunion this weekend, so that's on my mind. I'm a New Yorker and a parent of small children trying, trying to parent during a pandemic. (laughs) <laughs> and what a time it is to be parenting. Yes, it's uh, I, I am very much I know where your headspace is in, in that realm anyway. I feel like <laughs> we're kindred spirits in that way. <laughs> Definitely. So in reading your beautiful new book that I stumbled upon by accident at my local library, it's called The Paper Bird. And the message is kind of all about creative confidence and the emotional realities of living our most authentically creative lives. And it really felt visceral, this story to me. When I read it, I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I can resonate with this character. So where did this story originate? Um, so the paper bird started out as a very different story. It was originally called the pa- it was the paper woods was the title of the book. And the central theme was actually about being overscheduled and being too busy to do the things you love. And Annie, in that particular version, um, the story, it was inspired by what I was dealing with at the time. I was very overscheduled myself, um, was working and freelancing and trying to make art while, while also volunteering and trying to be an activist and all of the things that you want to bring into your life, but it was just too much. And so the story came out of that. Annie, originally in that version, she takes her schedule and she buries it in the ground and the paper woods grow out of that piece of paper. Mm. And like this magical woods gives her the space and time to, to find her joy and in making things in creating and in painting. But no matter what I did, that story never worked. The narrative arc never worked. The threads of the story, I could never pull them together in a way that was satisfying to me. And so I did what, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but sometimes the best thing you can do with a story is to put it aside and to let it sit. And so Annie's story sat for, I don't, it may have even been an entire year that I didn't look at it. Um, and so when I next tackled a revision, it's, it's nice to see it with fresh eyes. And at that time, things had shifted a little bit. And for me, I was in a really doubtful place of my work in my work and the story shifted and began to focus more on the cycle of doubt and um, kind of self-criticism that we often feel. And in doing so, it did become a reflection of my own fears and doubts in art making. That's so interesting that it started in one place and you put it down, you gave it some space (laughs) and it morphed into something else. Equally yeah. as beautiful and equally, I think, as timely and important, but something something different. So yeah. what did your creative process look like when you were making this book? Maybe you can kind of expand on what you've, you've already mentioned, but did it mirror Annie's experiences at all in creating her work? So was there even self-doubt in creating this book about self-doubt, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I Doubt is is an intrinsic part of my process. I found <laughs> there is it's very cyclical. You find yourself in very invested in this thing, and and even if it's just a single painting, you know you, you're 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 ready, you're excited, you're putting down the paint, and then all of a sudden there's there's that voice that begins to talk, and it it begins to criticize. For me, the doubts have never been external. It's always come from within. 
um, which is different, obviously, than Annie's story. Um, and eventually, you know, somehow you can you keep working and you get yourself out of that process. But the paper bird itself took almost seven years and 17 drafts from first idea to published book. This is this was not a, you know, a star shot story. It was more of a long haul project. And um, even within the making of the book, once my editor had acquired it, it took, well, I think um, it was acquired in 2019. And obviously the pandemic gotten in the way. I had a baby. There was a lot going on. And so it took three years from 2019. It was eventually published in 2022 from first my editor first seeing it to, um, to publication. And once my editor had it, we did a bunch of revisions together. And then um, I had originally conceived of this project as an entirely black and white book with mm. pops of color. And um, for readers from, or listeners familiar with the book, um, there are parts of the book that are fully rendered and fully painted. And then there is a part portion in the middle of the book when the color does bleed out of Annie's world and it's black and white with pops of color. So the original book was just going to be black and white with those pops of color from the very beginning. But um, my editorial team at, at Dial Books for Young Readers, they thought that that use of black and white for the whole book wasn't serving the story and wasn't serving the narrative art. At arc and I had already begun to paint the final black and white paintings for this but I think I had done about half a dozen spreads from the story and so it involved completely scrapping them starting from from scratch and trying again that did that hurt oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you know book make I think some people feel like you work as an author and illustrator, you get to make your book, it's your vision, you get to create this thing in your bubble and then it goes out into the world as you conceived of it. Bookmaking is very collaborative and it is not a solo enterprise. Um, it, you know, the reality of bookmaking is that it is a commercial product and it has to sell. And so it needs to appeal to librarians. It needs to appeal to parents who are going to buy, who, who are going to buy this for their children. Um, it has to appeal to booksellers. A bookseller has to have, want to have the book on its shelf. And so the concerns of the publisher, while they're also creative and your editor and your art director are helping you navigate that creative space, there is also a team that's that wants to make sure the book is going to reach as many readers as possible. So it's, you know, while sometimes, you know, it is worth pushing back when your vision, when the needs of sales isn't meeting your vision, but ultimately you want your book to reach readers. So there's a certain point when I think pushing back is actually unproductive and actually hurts what, I don't know, as a bookmaker for me, it's all about getting books to children and it hurts that goal. So yeah, having hearing that you have to redo <laughs> all of the art for your book is, is very disheartening, but you know, I trust the people I work with and I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with a team that I really love. And so um, while it hurt, it, their advice came from a place of bookmaking and of love. And so it felt, I worked with this editor and this team before on my first book. And I felt like if they were suggesting this, it was something I had to give a try. And ultimately it's, it was the right decision. The book is much better for having that first ending and beginning in full color and having the black and white only in the middle. It's so interesting to hear your experiences and just, and, and the idea that, bookmaking is collaborative and that off so often from the outside perspective, like you said, we think that 
making a book is like this it happens in this bubble and then you release this creative work into the world and and it lives and it it does its thing but it's it's more strategic than that and i think intuitively i i know that but it's it's so um interesting to hear you speak about the kind of the collaborative nature of this and maybe how um how yeah how that changes your your process in in bookmaking so i i guess the next um question i have for you is all about um, our is all about your main character Annie, mm-hmm. and she lost her desire to make art when the other kids kind of ostracized her or snickered or were were unkind. And has this ever happened in your life? I know that you said a lot of the self doubt comes from within, perhaps, and not so much from from the outside. But like, how have you pushed past, whether external or internal, how have you pushed past these creative confidence roadblocks in your life? Yeah, Um, you know, like most kids, I had my fair share of mean girls, but it was never about the art for me. Um, I've never had that external criticism on the artwork. Um, It's hard to get critiques on your work. And sometimes you can really internalize that. Um, but if it's remembering that critiques for your artwork are always in service of the art, the same way that working with an editor and an art director is in service of the book. But for me, yeah, the doubts are really self-driven doubts. Um, and for me, the best way to get out of a space of doubt is actually to make more work is just to, is to work itself, to make the work itself. And I know, or I've come to understand that when I am at my lowest and feeling the worst about my artwork, it's often because I have not been making things or making enough things. Um, and in that low period, when I had revisited this story, I am um, a friend of mine recommended this, this like guided meditation audio file that I started using. And the, the meditation was, you know, it was quieting and calming. And it ultimately the goal was to lead you to generate a word like using your mind and your subconscious. And then you could take that word and do with it whatever you liked. If you were a journaler, you could use it to journal. If you are a writer, maybe you could use it as a writing prompt. And for me, I used it as an art prompt. So for for two years, every day I did this meditation in the morning, I wrote down my word. And then at some point during the day when I had my time, I would sit down with a sketchbook and I had a page designated for that word and I would use it to generate something. It could be something fairly figurative where it featured a little character. I mean, it's still my artwork. I'm not, I'm not a fine artist. I'm an illustrator and I love that. But um, sometimes it was just a field of color. Sometimes it was pencil. Sometimes it was ink. I just used it to play. And I think um, there are a lot of artists who are wonderful at play with their materials, with their time. And I guess um, I didn't go to a traditional art school and I've always felt a little bit behind um, I eventually did an MFA, but it was, I, I dropped out of a PhD program to do it. And I did the MFA because I hadn't been to art school and I really didn't know how else to gain the skills and the knowledge and give myself the time to really work on my craft. So, um, having space to, to play is, is not, it's not something that I, do naturally or did naturally I do it much more now and that it that has helped my artwork and my own doubts a lot finding that joy in that play I think is really important 
Um, so working is the best medicine, I think, for the anxiety. Even when you don't like what you've made, at least you have made a mark on the paper. You've said so much amazing, juicy stuff there. Can I? <laughs> I was scribbling down notes yeah, yeah. as you were talking. Yeah, okay, yeah. so let's let let me just go back for a sec. Sure. So, do you have any examples of the words? Some of the prompting words. Sure. Yeah. So I have these. Like, I'll show you. About this. I have them sitting here. I mean, it's like each one, each of these sketchbooks is roughly 60 pages or it's a little bit more. So I was using, using them for like for two months at a time. Um, so I've got heart, frenzy, goodbye, reader, enveloped, um, euphoria, um, beloved, this one is not repeated. Oh, no, that was a second time. <laughs> it's funny looking back at them because there's such a, a specific moment in time. Mm -hmm. And I have in this one, I pulled out, this is um, in July of 2017, my very beloved cat passed away. And so there was a lot of like heart speaking words. Um, I had forgotten that's in here. Yeah. But things like anything, gratitude, confusion, grief, I fruit. So, I mean, all kinds of just generative words. That's such an incredible gift, I think, that to give to yourself every day is just this idea of experimentation and play and whatever comes on the page comes on the page. And there was a mark made, however developed or fully realized or not fully realized that that mark is. And I, I think there is such power in quantity equaling quality or helping to get to a place where you're feeling less doubtful in your work. I know for me, I'm the exact same way. If I'm just, I love pumping out stuff, <laughs> creative outputs and, and trying things. And if it's great, great. If it's garbage, fine. But it's out in the world living with other imperfect things in the world. And I feel good that I have released this creative energy from my <laughs> myself yes. or else it just builds up and it's not good for anybody. Yes. I'm also a firm believer in having creative, um, creative output that has nothing to do with the creativity that you use to earn your living. Mm. So like the bookmaking for me is how I earn my living, but I also, you know, I love to crochet and do fiber craft and playing with clay and making little things for my children. You know, I've been, I've been painting rocks because that has a zero pressure creative outlet. <laughs> I don't have any here right now. My children have all have taken them all, but um, you no, know, it's whatever you can do to use your hands to put something into the world. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. A hundred percent, I couldn't agree more. And uh, a few other things that you said that I just, again, scribbled down in front of me here was this idea of almost kind of like, again, consistency or just doing it, working through it. That's the only way through is is to do the work. And, uh, and the last thing I have written down here was um, kind of, again, that idea of constraint equals creativity. So giving yourself that word and giving yourself that that prompt to then make something, create mm -hmm. something, whatever, again, however developed or, or undeveloped, but that is kind of the creative spark that allows you to explore. Yeah, I think that sometimes we can be, and as Annie was, we, we become so overwhelmed by this blank page in front of us. There's, you know, 
the, the, it's blinding. You know, what am I going to put on it? There's so much pressure. I could do anything. But then you, you end up hobbled by this idea that you could do anything and instead you do nothing. And so having any kind of jumping off point, is it a word? Is it, there are a lot of wonderful um, projects on social media, like the hundred day project, giving yourself a theme or um, an idea and doing it for a hundred days. Or um, I particularly love in October, the Drawloween, all of the like Halloween prompts that are out there. And um, whether you're just using black and white and ink or making something a day for a month, it's, it's nice to have at least a start. So you're not just faced with a blank page. A prompt is always a really helpful thing. I agree. Yeah. So what creative projects do you have on the horizon? Any spoilers, any teasers? (laughs) I wish I could give more information, but I I have to kind of keep most of them close. Um, Fair enough. I have, um, I'll suffice to say, I have two projects that I've been working on, two book projects that are revisiting some older characters. Um, and if you find me on Instagram, you will be able to see one of them who features very heavily in my Drawloween drawings. Um, and I, you know, in the face of current affairs, I've been drawing a lot of birds lately and I've been finding joy in drawing birds, which have now generated a new picture book idea. So, <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. And isn't that neat too, when something that we do that's completely separate from our work inspires or informs or allows again for a jumping off point in into another space into our into our kind of day-to-day work yeah you never know where inspiration is going to come from and again in in that consistent making of things you find bits to inform all parts of your creative journey and your creative life I love it I love it (laughs) well Lisa may I ask you to do something for us Mm-hmm. May I ask you to read your book? I can do that. I can do that. Paper Bird. There once was a time when all of the colors, from midsummer blue to sunrise orange, lived at the tips of Annie's fingers. They came whenever she called and arrived in brilliant flashes of joy, singing and dancing across the page. Then, on a Wednesday like any other, something changed. For the first time, Annie heard the low giggles and saw the sneaky looks. The colors seemed to sing more quietly, and without their bright voices, gray doubt slowly crept in. As the gray clouded in overhead, Annie noticed that the bird she was drawing looked more like a flying hippopotamus. She tried to banish it with her eraser, but it only made things worse. Annie pulled out a new sheet of paper, but the white page seemed impossible. The more Annie tried to draw, the grayer she felt. The gray feeling lingered longer and longer, and soon it spilled out everywhere. By the end of the day, Annie felt gray all over. Instead of heading home with her classmates, Annie snuck outside to the schoolyard and let the quiet of the empty playground settle around her. The quiet made Annie feel a little less gray, so she pulled a blank page from her backpack. She tried to draw the bird once more, but even here, the lines still wouldn't come out right. Annie tried again and again and again, but it seemed the gray had followed her. Suddenly, with a crinkle and a whistle, her turquoise bird peeled itself from the paper. Annie looked at it in dismay. The bird was lopsided with one wing longer than the other. She leaped up to catch it before anyone caught sight of her mistakes. 
Annie jumped and grabbed for the paper bird, but as it flew upward, she paused. All she could see from her place on the ground was a glorious trail of turquoise swooping and loop-de-looping above her. The bird opened its beak and chirped a merry tune. The bright, cheery notes filled her with hope. Annie couldn't help herself. She decided to try a little yellow. And red and violet and orange. Every so often, Annie looked around and when she was certain no one was watching, she painted more birds. Slowly, the sky filled with birdsong and the rustle of painted wings. Annie was so entranced by the sunny voices and swooping colors, she didn't notice what was happening to her discarded pages. She looked up to find that the schoolyard had disappeared in a forest of white. The trees shushed and rustled. They crackled and snapped. They were all made of paper. The bright bare paper trees called to Annie. She had never seen anything as beautiful and filled with possibility. Annie's eyes sparkled. The woods were hers and only hers. She reached again towards the bright paper trunks, the colors crackling at her fingers. Annie whooped and hollered and she painted the paper woods. There was no one watching and it wouldn't have mattered if there were. Annie had found her colors. At last, she felt like herself again. The next day when Annie stepped through the school gate, the paper woods were already gone, but Annie had brought her colors with her and back at school, they slowly began to spread. There once was a time when Annie knew only gray. Lately though, she strode with purple confidence, sang with orange glee and danced a golden streak of joy. And she lived all the colors in between. The end. (laughs) That is beautiful, beautiful. And I particularly love this line. But Annie had brought back her colors with her and back at school, they slowly began to spread. So maybe my final question for you, Lisa, is when we do the work that we are called to do creatively and when we show up unapologetically and make our thing, no matter how, (laughs) what that thing is and how fully realized it is, what do you think that does for others? Do you think it gives others permission to do the same or any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think... I think in making, whether it is, it is lopsided and messy and whatever comes out, I think it, I think it brings joy into the world. I think it brings your heart into the world. I think it's a, it's a vehicle for connection with other people. Um, I think it can inspire other people to go out and make their thing, whatever it is, and to put their own heart and their own creative self out there. And to me, any expression of creativity is good. It, it, it brings joy, it brings light, it, it brings connection. You know, we are creative beings. That is a perfect answer. Thank you, Lisa, so much for being here today. And I can't wait to read your next book and read it to my two girls. And, and thank you for creating your beautiful work. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really delightful. 